Hey guys, before you skip forward to the meat of the episode, please take a moment to listen to this because this is a company you need to know about. I'm really excited to share with you guys that I've partnered up with a wonderful company that's innovating how we connect with those that we've lost. That company is called After. And if you haven't heard about them, here are the details. They've created the first ever gravesite camera system. What that means is that they provide for you a camera that's solar powered for you to put in the gravesite of your loved one and you get a constant 24-7 live feed of that gravesite through your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever it may be. What's beautiful about that is that you can also share audio with the gravesite from the comfort of your home from your phone. So this is a beautiful way to stay connected when there's distance between you and the gravesite of the loved one, especially now during COVID times, travel restrictions, even if it's just distance that's separating you and you can't go visit the gravesite every month or every week or as much as you'd like, this is the way to do it. So Super cool. If you guys want to find out more, their website is after.live and that's A-F-T-R dot L-I-V-E. And if you use my code, which is death dash 10, you get 10% off your camera. If this isn't for you at the moment, make sure you go check them out regardless. Tell your friends about it because this is really powerful technology that everyone should be aware of. And now, welcome to episode 30 of the Conversations on Death podcast. My name is Lorena, and I'm your host for the Conversations on Death podcast. Death is the one thing we all have in common, yet it's one of the most taboo subjects in our culture. So, I invite you, dear deathling, to join my guests and I as we dive deep into everything death-related, and in the process, learn about the many lessons death has to teach us, the living. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I apologize for having taken a break, if anyone noticed at all. Um, But I kind of wanted to do it to honor my grandma's memory. She passed away a couple of weeks ago, and I just had so much going on during those days. So I decided to take a little break. Um, But the good news is I'm coming back with a bang. Because on today's episode, I speak to Dr. Joshua Black, about grief dreams. He is a grief researcher, speaker, author, consultant, and online course instructor. And he also has a podcast called Grief Dreams Podcast. So please check it out if you want to. He focused all of his master's and PhD research in psychology on investigating dreams and bereavement, which is also known as grief dreams, and continuing bonds from many types of loss, including prenatal loss and pet loss. Most of his academic research and publications have specifically been on dreams of the diseased. And Dr. Black is considered one of the world's leading academic experts in grief dreams. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. It was really eye-opening. I learned a lot um, that I had no idea about. And even after recording, we stayed talking for like another 15, 20 minutes because Joshua is just so full of knowledge and is so nice and funny. And it was a pleasure having him on the podcast. All right, guys. Enjoy. All right, Joshua, I'm so excited to have you on. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So let's see, let's get started and just tell me um, what was your history with like grief dreams like before you started doing your research? You know, like in the, if you would have asked me that 
say way before, I would say I'd never heard of him prior, but it would have been a lie because one of my favorite movies was Braveheart. And it was a thing that me and my, it's probably one of my dad's favorite movies too. And it's probably why I liked it so much. But anyways, in that movie, lo and behold, that I realized after I started my PhD, there was uh, William Wallace. So the main character, Mel Gibson, he uh, had three grief dreams of his deceased wife. And so I think it's just a nice, it's an interesting tidbit because I had no idea that they were even important, but yet in my favorite movie, there was three of them. So I really actually had my first experience with those prior to my PhD, prior to even really exploring these in any way, um, when my dad died. So I was in school in my undergrad, I was wanting to be an elementary school teacher. And then, you know, was it like, I guess it was like fourth year, I got a call that he died. And for me, it was such a shock because I never really thought about death. I never thought anyone around me could die. And, you know, he was supposed to pick me up for a game, like a hockey game for my birthday, like a day before, but I just thought he forgot. So it never even crossed my mind. And then the moment I got that call, I was in, I just broke down and I didn't really understand the feelings that I was having. And they, you know, at the end, they kind of scared me. And the thoughts I had were very, like, very challenging to say the least. And I was very down on myself because I couldn't remember a lot of the memories that we had, you know, like it was it's true when you try to force a memory, it's very hard to, to really yeah, capture that. It's so bad. And so I was getting depressed because of that. And then, you know, like I, I was just, and for me, it was like first time I cried in many, many years. So I was just crying nonstop for a couple of days. And then I did the eulogy, cried doing that, which <laughs> I don't know if I would do that again, but I attempted to do something up there and I, I did. <laughs> and so, but it was, what's interesting is once that funeral was over, I stopped crying. And I think a reason for that was I was going back to school and going back to work. And I almost, I would say I suppressed my feelings and the life sort of came out of me at the same time. So the world was now gray and, and not, not exciting. There's no real feelings of happiness or sadness. People would say I would be depressed. And I just carried on with life. And, you know, for me, I just thought that was the way it's going to, it was going to be. I never, I never sought out help. I didn't know what I could do differently. I just knew, you know, I just went back to my routine. And so really what happened was three months later, I had this dream of my father. Like I wasn't asking for it, but it happened. And the whole story of me for those three months just being in a world that I didn't recognize, but also not trying to escape in a way because I didn't know if I could. And then you have this dream that, that completely changed everything. And I'll tell you the dream. So I was, I was sleeping, of course. And I saw my, <laughs> my dad at the end of the room of my bedroom and everything in the room was exactly the same way it was in waking life. And for me, that was really weird just because I've never had a dream like that. Most of them, there's like, there's some differences in the content of some, some way. And then he looked healthy. Like he had issues with alcohol throughout his life and issues with regulating his emotions. So he always, and he also had a lot of like trauma in his life. So he's very, I would say he had a heavy energy to him. And like in the dream, he felt light and is the best way to put it. Uh, and so he was very happy and peaceful. And so I walked up to him and I said, I'm going to miss you, acknowledging the loss. And I said that I loved him. And, and we hugged and I woke up. 
the crazy part is when I woke up, all of that, what I was going for the three months was gone. And it wasn't about me interpreting the dream. I woke up changed and I didn't know what happened because it was so bizarre. And, but it, I felt alive again is the best way to put it. And, you know, looking back on that, I could probably say, oh, I had a block because I never said goodbye to him because he died so suddenly. The other thing was um, I never also told him that I loved him. And I didn't, I wouldn't have known consciously that that would have been such an impact on me in my grief journey just because, you know, it's not something that we typically said to each other. And so why would I, and why is that the thing that I needed to say? But, you know, there is some power in which I've seen through the research of other people, just there is part of us just this want to, for people to know how we feel about them. And I think because I never told them I loved them in probably like 20 years since I was a kid, and he never said the same thing to me, even though you know he did, we just never talked about that that was important in some way and, and something else happened within the dream, but those, I can see those two big things being an issue. And then I woke up and it was, I still sort of like, I still don't understand what happened, but I am so thankful that it did because I don't know where I'd be without that. And I wouldn't be doing this what I'm doing now or caring about individuals who have had a loss at the same time too. So for me, that really started it. And then, um, moving forward, I had a couple of dreams as I finished my undergrad degree and, you know, I finished school and I was going to be in, go to teacher's college. But what was interesting is once I got in, I turned it down and looking back at that, I don't understand really why, but I just had a feeling because I worked my whole life to get in. Like I went, I was volunteering with kids. I was, <laughs> I was doing everything I could. And then once I got that letter, letter, I was like, mm, you know what? It just doesn't feel right. Mm. And then I said, no. And I didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do. But my whole life was up to that moment. And so I took a basically the year to try to figure out what I could do with a psychology degree. And not much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a psych degree too. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> so depressing. They sold me on a lie. Yeah. <laughs> All the all the things I wanted to do, you needed a master's or PhD yeah. for. And like, I'm like, I didn't want to do that. And so, yeah. <laughs> so as, as I just, you know, got some jobs here and there, I wanted to find meaning in my life a little bit more. And I worked, I volunteered with the bereaved at a local hospice. And that's when I really saw the importance of these dreams, because when I had my dream, I didn't share it with anyone. I just kept it and it changed me. And it's one of the most important moments of my life, I would say. And yet I didn't, tell anyone. I never really understood why. And then when I started you know, volunteering with the bereaved, they had questions that I never had. So they're having negative dreams of the deceased. They want to know why they're not having dreamed and they're concerned. Other people have some like almost kind of crazy dreams where it's like I had a hard time understanding what was going on there. So, and people were opening up about even some of the positive dreams they had. What do you mean by so, crazy dreams? You know, like, you know, like a regular dream and they're like maybe in the scenery of some sort, right? Or like, you know, it's just like something like that, like it's part of an, uh, like a dream. It's just part of like a dream where like some other dreams, like the one I had was really one-on-one and didn't really, it changed what a normal dream typically feels like because it was more like a connection, like a bond that was being built in some form. So that's what was like crazy dream. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when I went to the research, try to answer those questions for the individuals, 
there wasn't anything for them that I could give. And that was disheartening because I thought it would have been researched by now, given these dreams probably like, like since the beginning of time, these dreams were happening. Right. So it was just like, I had a moment where I was like, I wonder if I could research this. And then I said, like, then I remember in my head, I'm like, no, I don't want to research this. I have no, I have no (laughs) training or no desire to do research. Then I'm like, well, if you want to find meaning in life, like (laughs) what about trying this out and seeing and giving it at least a shot. And then, you know, this is like how you like talk in your head. Right. (laughs) And I said, fine, I'll try it out. You know, if I don't get in or, if I fail and at least I've tried, right. That was my whole mentality. And it was a huge learning curve because as I said, I didn't want to be a researcher where people like an undergrad tend to know what they want to do. And they they're gung ho about the stats. And, you know, that's like the biggest thing in research methodology. And I had to learn all that all over, all over again, and to an extent, because I knew how to use it in my master's and then also my PhD. So it was a, it was challenging, but at the same time, I got a lot of, I got in, which is nice, but I got a lot of support from the bereaved around me Mm -hmm. on encouraging me that this topic was needed to be done. So like that gave me a lot of motivation to pursue and answer the questions I needed to answer. And, you know, like we go into all the details about that, but within the, the master's and PhD, I realized how big the topic actually is, which most people don't know. And that's why I love talking about it because the landscape of grief dreams is huge And a lot of people just don't know about it because you haven't seen or spoke about this type of, I guess, these dreams within the grief journey um, with the people around them or or understand the knowledge of different cultures Mm -hmm. and the issues that the bereaved have. Because, you know, like it's so interesting to sort of see the challenges and the uh, the amazing resilience because these dreams that people can have. Mm hmm. So what is the definition academically of a grief dream? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of made up the term. Uh, (laughs) Well, then you have the answer. (laughs) Well, it's really, for the most part, um, it's about those dreams that we have after loss. And so there's different branches that that can fall into. So it's almost like an umbrella term. Mm. So there are dreams that are symbolic of the loss. And so with that, is like an example would be you're running by a mountain and the mountain collapses on you. And so you wake up and it's more of a reflection of your grief and how heavy it is in your waking life, right? So it's a reflection of how you're, you're waking life and all the stuff you're dealing with. Then there's the second dream category where the deceased isn't in the imagery, but other characters in the dream will mention them in some way. Or there's a scenery in the dream that represents the deceased. So this could be the hospital they died at something like that. And some of the characters could mention the death or give condolences, uh, or you could have like an angel if you're spiritual or even Jesus or God will speak about the deceased. And so like, those are different, like, I guess, images and and dreams they can have there. And the last theme would be dreams of the deceased, which is what everyone wants to talk about. It's a thing that provides a lot of people meaning or distress based on how they, they see the dream or the content of the dream. But yeah, so there's many different ways. Sometimes the deceased is actually in the imagery as they are. They could be a cloud or even an animal I've seen. And sometimes they're not in the imagery as a physical form, but they're talking through someone or like a medium, or they're calling in from a phone or or a cell phone, something like that. So they're just like far away, but you hear their voice kind of thing. So those are the, the main ones. There's also ones I've come to know as I've moved forward in the research that are prior to understanding the person's dead. So there are dreams 
where let's say you know the person's going to be dying. So you have these anticipatory grief dreams. Let's say they're in a hospice. You'll have these dreams in a symbolic form of the grief that you're trying to process. Um, they may or may not be in the imagery themselves. Or you can have these dreams, which is you know kind of interesting and it's to say the least, where people will dream of the deceased prior to knowing that the person's already dead. And so this is fascinating because it really makes you rethink the connection we have with one another. And so this could be sometimes the individual knows the person is in a hospice or is dying. Um, sometimes the person doesn't know, but they have this dream theme that looks very similar to what one would have after you know, constantly know that they've died. Mm. And so they're saying goodbye, that they love on very peaceful and loving dream. Mm-hmm. And they wake up and then they'll call or they'll get a phone call knowing that the individual has died. And so that I think is fascinating and really showcases that there is some kind of connection that people do have with one another that just goes beyond what we what we know through through science. And then there's these, you know, precognitive dreams that I have seen. And, you know, a lot of people that sometimes think they have those um, and they get a lot of distress if they do because they feel like they could have stopped it. And so yeah. um yeah, which is which is tough, right? And so I always try to reframe that and to realize that for those people who do have one of those dreams, that they could have been the dream could have been a lot clearer if you're supposed to stop it. And so if you're not supposed to stop it, what is it about? And I think there's something about just sitting in the mystery of life and that there is so much we still don't know about dreams, about the human body, what it does, why we sleep. There's so many things we just don't know. And it's okay to not know. And yeah. you know, that's where I, I sit because there is joy in not knowing too, right? Like a lot of times we, we feel like we need to know everything to feel yeah. safe and secure, but I don't think we do. Yeah. That's a journey I've been going through because a few couple years ago, I had one of those dreams where I, I had a dream that this person was going to, di- or was already dead in the dream. And I even told them about it. And three days later they died. So, wow. you know, and it's like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? You know, it's just crazy. And yeah, I mean, honestly, part of this podcast was born out of that curiosity. Like, what is it? But, you, you know, know I, as I go you, through, go ahead. I said, you, you can't understand it. And I know there's some researchers like it, is, it exists. So like, we know yeah. it exists and you see it through right. cultures, but how does it exist? How can it even happen? And, you know, there's, there's some researchers who are trying to link it with quantum physics Mm. and how it can happen. But at the end of the day, I don't know. All I know is all I can do is validate the dreams that people do have. And usually if it's a negative dream, I tend not to go that it was precognitive. Um, it, because a lot of people will have these dreams of uh, people dying and it's more of a fear based or it's based on anxiety than anything. And so I would go that way first, but if you deal with that anxiety and it still happens, or if there's a date, that said, well, then you just, you sit there with curiosity to sort of see, because most of the time, most people will not have precognitive dreams. That's not like the thing. And it's, you know, I said like, it can shake your belief system when you do have it, Mm -hmm. but I can give you some examples that came through my research if you want. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've studied, you know, all sorts of different types of loss, like spousal loss, pet loss, even like miscarriages. Mm -hmm. And so here's one after a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So in my dream, I was bleeding heavily and I, I bled out a bunch of stuff, including what looked like a large amount of tissue. So I went running over to my aunt's house, who is deceased. And when I got there, my grandma, all also deceased, answered the door instead. I couldn't find my aunt at all. 
So I showed my grandma the tissue and said, I think I had a miscarriage. Is that what this looks like? And my grandma said, yes, honey. And then the individual miscarried a few days later. So one would say maybe the body knows what it's going to do prior to consciously knowing right. or what's going to happen in the body. And that is a possibility too, but that in itself is very amazing. And we just don't know how that happens and how to maybe tie into that a little bit more. But then there's another one where you can't really tie it to the body, which is kind of interesting. So this one's of a mother who had a dream of her deceased daughter. I went down into the basement to take a shower. As I was walking towards the shower, I turned around and my daughter, deceased, and her boyfriend, who was still alive, were standing there at the basement door. I asked her, what are you doing here? She said her boyfriend came to say goodbye. I said, goodbye? Where are you going? My daughter said he has to go to school like me. I reply, aren't you finished with school yet? No, mom. It is just like it is here. You go to school and learn something. Then you move on to another school and learn more. I said, okay. Her boyfriend gave me a hug and said goodbye and they left. And then a few, I think, I think it was a few weeks later, the boyfriend actually did die in waking life. And so it's just very interesting how that happens. And it's like, I don't know. And, you know, there maybe there's other possibilities to to talk about it, but I do like that I can just bring it up to normalize those dreams for people who do have them and to say like we don't have the answers and that's okay. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. And there's joy in that too. Yeah. That's what I'm learning throughout this process of having different conversations with different people. It's like we don't have to know everything. It's okay to not. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So what, um, also academically speaking, what is the purpose of a grief dream? Like how does that serve the person having them or others around them? So I guess the, which ones you're talking about. So if you look at most dreams in general, right? So dreams have a lot of different purposes. What we know is dreams represent our waking life and so the struggles that we're going through in waking life, what we see and hear, we'll dream about. And what's going on there, one of the theories, and I support, is that you're working through your emotional stuff, you're problem solving within your dreams, and you're digesting the stuff that you, know, you have seen and heard throughout the day. And so some dreams, I would say, are more important than others, but dreams can really give you an insight into how you're doing in waking life. Because a lot of times when we're awake, we lie to ourselves or we consciously aren't aware of how we're truly feeling. And so this is why we tend to blame others a lot for our stresses, I guess. But it's really something deeper that's actually being at play. And our, you know, I think our, our mind or dreams in a way, it's trying to help us out. They're like that best friend that tells you the truth, even when you don't know it. <laughs> like, so that's how I sort of see these dreams because that's how I have been helped through dreams to understand myself. So a lot of dreams can be like that. So if you're having negative dreams after loss, it probably reflects an aspect of the grief or trauma that you're dealing with in some form. Let's say the deceased is not in the dream. And so there's clues always in these dreams to try to help you out to problem solve some of the stuff that's going on. But when you start looking at dreams of the deceased, you know, just in my research, I found that there are at least three functions of these. The first one is to process trauma. So here you get a lot of the negative dreams that the deceased can have. And I want to sort of just mention that 
dream research has found that in general, dreams are more commonly negative than positive. And that just represents the amount of worry and concerns and stress that we have going to bed, right? And so after trauma in general, you're gonna have more consistently negative dreams. So after grief, one would think you're gonna have more negative dreams of the deceased or just negative dreams in general, but also when the deceased is present, they should also be negative because it's reflecting you know, what you're working through. But what's really interesting is when the deceased is in the imagery, people are tend to have a high, way higher chance of having a positive dream than a negative dream. And so, you know, what is that? And so trauma is one of those things that has been tied to sort of why people have these negative dreams. So that could be reliving, you know, the death over again, or the deceased maybe chasing you or all sorts of different stuff, right? Even trying to drag you to the afterlife. There's a lot of different things that, yeah, <laughs> we could talk about that. But there's a lot of different things that can happen that can cause a lot of distress for people. And people can have these very repetitive dreams of the same kind of scenario. And that's very disheartening because some people do will believe that those are hauntings or negative visitations, which is even harder for someone if they're grieving to then work through the grief because now they're feeling that they're being haunted for that. But I, I'll just move on to the, the next theory just because I don't know how much time we have. But No, <laughs> keep it coming. <laughs> you, want, you want some examples? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I had, which one I go with? I'll go with the, the child one. So children and adults will both have these types of dreams, which is very interesting. Adults will have them, tend to have it more often than kids. And I think just because they have a higher dream recall frequency in general. So, but, you know, overall, I would say around, if you suffer a significant loss, either pet miscarriage or adult, probably around 75% of the time of people would probably have one of these dreams. And then, you know, for kids it's around 55%. And so they have, so a large amount of people are having these types of dreams. And I said, most of the time they are positive. But one of the things that can happen is that because of our waking day stresses, things can change in our, or we have these negative dreams. So this woman, um, she was like 60, she came up to me and she kept having this dream when she was a child. And she was like, I think seven or something. And she kept having this dream of Barney Rubble. I don't know if you remember the Flintstones. Yeah. <laughs> do you know the Flintstones? I, so, okay, I do, so, I do. But I've okay, never yeah. actually watched like this, but I know okay. you're one of the main characters was dragging her sister through her hallway and would then vanish into a painting on the wall. And she said it was, it was very frightening for her and she kept having it over and over again. And she's like, I still don't understand why I kept having it. And then like, it's the first time I've seen a dream like that. But when I asked her about just the details of the loss, I said, you know, did anyone ever talk to you about her death? And she said, no. And I go, did you ever go to the funeral? She said, no. I go, then what happened when she died? She's like, well, she just vanished and no one really told me about her. What happened? It was just like she was there one time and then not there the next. And back then that was the practice, right? And so I said, well, that makes sense then because the mind was actually trying to help you figure out why your sister wasn't around you anymore. And so it was the mind's way of developing a theory or developing some sort of cause for why your sister's not here. And so this, I want to share that dream because it also showcases the reason why we need to ask children about their grief, because it can really showcase what they're longing for. They're longing for answers and, you know, for us to talk about what happened and that's okay. And you should be, and you should offer them the opportunity to go to a funeral. And we know that through the research now, but back then we didn't. And you can sort of see how that dream is really helping someone really understand maybe what's going on and how to help the individual in waking life a little bit more. So moving forward, 
another uh, another function for these dreams is to maintain a continuing bond with the deceased. And through my research and other research out there, maintaining a bond can be very beneficial to helping someone work through the grieving process. So as long as the individual knows the body has died, um, that's really what you need to for people to know. And then from there, it's like, can you continue that love as you move forward? You don't have to be spiritual. So this could be just looking at photographs, talking about them, you know, even having like a picture of them on your mantle. Like that's like a continuing bond. Just you're remembering them in these moments. And some people who are spiritual will then say, oh, there's a soul or they're around me or I find pennies or I see butterflies and that's them. That's all a continuing bond. And so what we found is that, you know, these dreams, especially the dreams that are positive and they have the one-on-one type connections are more likely to facilitate that kind of continuing bond. So it seems like the mind is also trying to help you develop that in whatever, which is, you know, it's kind of interesting. So it's trying to help you move through the grieving process in its own way. And if you're spiritual, it's, you could say that's in itself, its own continuing bond with the soul trying to bridge a connection with you to remember that they're more than a body kind of thing. And then if you move forward, another function is to regulate our emotions. And so with me, you can see how that worked so significantly because when, after I woke up, I was able to feel happiness and then also sadness again too. So I could, my range of emotions was back and these dreams can do that. So if you're avoiding loss, let's say one of the negative dreams can also help you realize and actually face the tragedy of what happened so that's what like a negative dream could do a positive dream can help you get out of that funk of the deep grief because a lot of these dreams that are very peaceful very positive and they provide a lot of grief work for the individual so they can answer questions people may have so if it's suicide maybe why the individual did it or the individual may apologize or just to be able to hear or see the person healthy and happy again is, is very beautiful but to hear i love you from the deceased is something that, you know, we long for, for the most part, or to voice it to them. So there's a lot of things that actually can, the individual is processing and whatever your belief system is, it works because if it's, if you believe it's just the mind, well, the mind knows what it needs to heal. If you believe it's a spirit, well, the spirit also knows what you need to heal. So either way, it doesn't matter. It's still working to help you move through. I think that's beautiful because I think it's part of, it happens or we have an ability of that. And I believe animals probably do too. If they're dreaming, they're probably dreaming about other deceased loved ones also. Interesting. I just saw saw an article that octopus, like octopus uh, that was shown a dream. So I'm like, well, if they can dream, why wouldn't they dream of other loved ones in their life too? So um, putting that out there, it's probably so. It's probably there's some type of adaptive behavior for our survival, and I can see trauma is such a trauma and grief is such a, a burdensome for a community in the sense that we our productivity goes lower, our the way we can um, collect and gather is hindered, like how we do our job performance, how we raise our children is hindered. So when we're in a deep state of stress, we can't function the way we need to, and so I can understand the benefits of these dreams throughout time for allowing us to survive and to how do you put it in, and to maintain our belief systems when we when we can't maybe do a certain ritual i've heard some stories and some in some literature of you know when slaves were captured um, from like africa and brought to sort of north america they couldn't perform a lot of the rituals that their culture sort of needed for the soul to cross over or to for them to to heal but they would have these dreams that would reassure them 
that the soul was fine and that, and that they're okay. So it's interesting how, you know, there's these moments where there's huge forms of trauma in a culture and the dreams itself help people in that. And I think it's probably going on too with the pandemic when people can't do the rituals that they normally need to, to facilitate um, maybe the crossing of the, the soul to the afterlife or whatever that is. Um, but it's helping them to feel that it's okay, that it didn't get done. And I think, you know, because a lot of people can have a lot of guilt and sadness when those don't happen. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why that these dreams can happen. Thank you. That was very in-depth. That's what I okay, needed. <laughs> so I want to hear more about, uh, are there any cultural differences? It's very interesting because... There are, right? And there are a lot of religious differences too. Yeah. But what's what's the hard part about this is that I don't know if there's a one religion or culture that sees all the dreams the same way. So just looking at Christianity, it's, you know, in Western culture, that's the big one. I've had pastors say that this is the work of God to keep doing it. I've had other pastors say this is the work of the devil. And so when the deceased is in the imagery, it's actually the devil in disguise. And so for me, it was a big shock because I didn't understand how that was possible, given that it's a positive dream. I can see how people turn negative dreams um, and put it on the devil. That's what happened with me. Like when I was growing up, my parents said my nightmares were from the devil. And so, yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting. I learned along the way that that wasn't, I don't believe that was true. I believe that because of the trauma in my uh the unsafe environment of my house and uh, at school was causing me to have these negative dreams. So rather than working with the dream and trying to understand it, you know, my parents just put on the devil and they didn't know, right? Research it back then wasn't a thing. And I think they got a lot of their messages from their pastor who I later talked to. And that was the one that said that these dreams are from the devil too. One of them, I had a couple of people <laughs> to uh, um, try to get me to stop. But at the end of the day, uh, I've learned just even like by reading some of the stuff that, you know, Jesus wrote that it didn't make sense because uh, the biggest thing is that one, these dreams I've found in my research is that they actually help people maintain their faith in very difficult times. One of the things with the grief process is people can lose their faith very quickly because you feel the world's unjust. And so how can there be a God in an unjust world? And so it can actually help people maintain their faith. Uh, the other Big one, too, is that some of these dreams have Jesus in the imagery or God with the deceased. So my big thing, so when I question those people back on their view of the dream, I always sort of ask them about the positive nature of them. And, you know, what would the benefit of the devil coming in a positive form do for the bereaved? If anything, it's going to help them work through their stuff. I said, you know, so I say, okay, if you believe that it's a negative dream, I go, if, if, if Jesus shows up in a dream, which people do dream of prophets and all sorts of saints, I go, is that the devil in disguise? And they say, no. And I said, what about the deceased with Jesus or with the priest or whatever? And then they freeze because they don't know the vastness of the research and the vastness of these dreams. And I think that hinders them and how they're approaching it because they're approaching it at, with a lack of understanding. And that. I wish people would just say, I, I don't know. I don't know. And that's okay because there's answers now out there, but at the time there, there wasn't. And, you know, I could see maybe back in the day, if, since there was more trauma around, people probably had more negative dreams of the deceased going on. It was probably like a 50-50 split from positive and negative. 
But still, like these theories come through and they get passed down from person to person and no one really understands the truth about what the research shares. It's like when people thought, you know, we're at the center of the universe or this, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? And, and like, <laughs> and, you know, and when science came out to challenge that, you know, there was an uproar. And, I, and hopefully this is sort of the same thing. Well, not an uproar, but just people change their view of a something when the science stuff comes out. And the other big thing too, as I said, like it just helps people maintain their faith. They, they get a stronger belief of the afterlife because of these dreams. So how is it, it can't be the devil because the devil would want you to feel that there is no faith, that there is no God. That's the whole concept of sort of what that's supposed to do anyway. So at the end of it, in that sort of religion, there's a wide variety and every other religion you see that too. And so the big thing is, you know, are there different viewpoints though within it? Yes. And it's really based on your interpretation of the dream of the dream. So a lot of people are having these dream images and much of them are the same. They're very loving, very comforting. You'll see some differences when it comes to the images based on their culture, their belief system. So like if it's Christianity, you'll have more maybe Jesus or an angel. If you're I don't know, another faith, you'll have something else. You wouldn't have Jesus in it. Like if you're Buddhist, you're not going to have Jesus in the imagery kind of thing. You may have them asked to be reincarnated or something, like something like that that goes along with their religion, which allows them to believe that the religion is also true. So like, once again, like it helps them believe that what they believe is true as they sort of move forward within their their journey. And then there's other cultures like um, Aboriginal cultures, one like the Torja people of Indonesia. And what's really interesting about them is that uh, some of those dreams that they have will have the deceased dragging the individual away and they would say there's this myth back for them that if anyone any other people have a dream like that it means they're going to die soon so it's almost like a precog kind of thing and so when you look at actually research on that there is actually some truth to that in a way and so just in my own studies and some other research that I've I've seen that actually it represents high forms of trauma. So in my research, the highest form of trauma on the scale were the ones that were having these types of dreams. And so what it's saying is that those people have high trauma symptoms, which if you're in a hunter-gatherer society, you're going to have make a lot of mistakes. Your cognitive process is going to be poor. So you're going to maybe die from shooting yourself or running over or falling over a cliff by accident. A lot of like accidents I could see happening. But also individuals that also have that may be at higher risk and probably at a higher risk for suicide. And so it could be also what kills them in the end, too, is that their decision to kill themselves. And I would say, and also in our culture, and just raising awareness of mental health, it's a red flag for anyone who works with the bereaved, if this theme occurs, to really understand that there may be some suicide ideation going on with that. And you, so like, that's sort of another thing that you sort of see. So like, it's interesting how they change. And also in that culture, I will say that they do believe these to be visitation type dreams. And so negative dreams are very troublesome, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. they believe that they're visitations. But what's interesting too, is that a lot of the dreams they have can give advice. So they can give advice on when to plant seeds, where to move, where to go. And they trust that. But what's cool, I find even more fascinating is they if they get advice or something from the deceased, they can't share it with anyone. So they have to provide a basically um, 
an offering to the deceased before that can actually take hold. So if let's say I, I get a dream of the deceased where my dad says, you know, buy this pig, it's going to have a lot of offspring or something, right? If I tell you and you provide the offering to the deceased as like a, a gift or whatever, mm-hmm. you're the pig that you buy are, is going to be the one that gives the offspring, not mine. And so you keep it a secret until you do the offering. I think that's interesting because I think it's just in our culture, we keep it a secret also, but not maybe not for that same reason per se, Mm -hmm. but it's just interesting how secrets start to happen when it comes to these types of dreams. Yeah. Is this the culture that also kind of digs up the dead basically? So they, I mean, this is part of their culture. They're very connected to the diseased, it seems like. They are. Yeah. And it's a very interesting concept of raising the dead and yeah. how that's normal for them. For yeah. us, it, it's not as, as common. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Might be even all. illegal. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think so. Um, so just out of my own personal curiosity, I want to hear more about like the actual research and how you do it. Like, have you done, uh, is it through hospice, uh, grief circles that you kind of infiltrate those circles that way and ask questionnaires? Or have you done like case studies to like see chronologically how like it affects someone, uh, the death of a, of a loved one over time? Or So I've done it in different ways based on different studies. So one, I looked at someone's dream diary that they had after their father died. So you could sort of see how the dreams progress um, through time. Another one, my master's, I did go to different hospices and ask individuals through their bereavement programs to report, you know, in, on some measures and report their most memorable dream of the deceased. In my PhD, it was a lot easier, I guess the best way to put it, because I collected it online. And so, yeah, so worked with um, an online platform that pays people to respond to research which was really nice. And we got to pay people, which was really good. But you also, you know, the big thing with that, what I like is that there was a vast majority of people. So not just like Christians and and white and like you get a a, a bigger variety of races, religions, uh, and types of deaths too. So that was really good. And the way we did the research was different than other ones prior that I did. So Usually when you do dream research, you specifically state that this is going to be a dream study. In this study, we put it as a grief study. So no one really knew we we're going to be asking about dreams ahead of time. And so that was great for the f- most part to understand who's having these dreams and who's not. Like, what are the percentages? So it gives you a more accurate understanding. And so that's why I said, like, for just how common it is, that's actually in multiple studies. We see that. So after spousal loss, we found it was 86% after a year or two. with pet loss after six months. So that would increase as time goes on. And then after miscarriages is around 58%. And so that in itself was surprising to me because they've never met the deceased yet. They're in the imagery. Okay. First of all, I wanted to talk about this whole um, mention of grief dreams in popular culture, because I saw that thing on your website about the song, John Lennon song. And I just- Oh shit! Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know the Beatles, it's a Beatles. Anyway, all so good, tell yeah. that story. We'll edit that out. <laughs> and then just in general, because it's it's really interesting. And I mean, you opened up the podcast interview talking about your favorite movie, how it showed up there. So I just want people <laughs> to realize, like, it's 
part of us. <laughs> it is. And you got to understand, like, for me to see this in different movies, and I have a certain categories of movies I watch, a lot of action, adventure, mm. and comedies. So there's a lot of movies that, and I guess music, I just don't know, but it's there. And it's there in many ways. So I know we said you were talking about Paul McCartney and really writing some of his songs through through dreams. But one of them that a lot of people just don't know about is a song, Let It Be. And so it's actually based on a grief dream he had of his mother. So his mother died. And in the dream, he was very, like in waking life, he was very anxious and worried about you know a certain circumstance. Then in the dream, his mother was just telling him, just let it be. Everything's going to be okay. Just let it be. And he woke up and that's when he said, let it be. Like, I never really, that's good. I'm going to write a song about that. (laughs) So he wrote a song about that and about the dream more or less and how it made him feel. And then you see, since um, the music, there's a mention of Mary. And I always thought it was Mary, like the Saint Mary, but it's actually his mother's name was Mary. And so it was a great play on words, but it was so impactful. And you can see to this day when he talks about it, how much that means to him to have had that dream and to have shared that moment. But yeah, like on, that's why I have like on my website, I've put, so griefdreams.ca, I put a pop culture because I kept seeing it. I'm like, man, there's so much. Like, like every, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's me. Like, I'm like, where, like, did I miss these all my life? Like what's going on? Cause they're everywhere. And like, now you start seeing how impactful they are to people. You realize the people who are actually writing the scripts probably had their own dreams after loss. And so they're putting it in based on memory, not based on research. And I think that's fascinating. So like pop culture is almost ahead of the research for like one of the first times. And so that in itself is really cool. So Braveheart uh, has it on there, but they're just like, there's lists like in the TV shows, like I know Game of Thrones had it, um, Big Bang Theory. So some of these huge shows are incorporating within it. And then you have the Wiggles is like uh, children's uh performance band i guess the best way to put it anyways they have a song based on grief dreams for children and like so it's just understanding the vastness of of the topic and that you know it's a part of our lives even when we don't recognize it and it's like i watched braveheart i didn't recognize how important those dreams were to the movie and i think that is just a resemblance of our lives where people just don't know the importance of these dreams in our lives because we just don't talk about them or how they hinder us in our lives. Because I know a lot of people who have these negative dreams will be afraid to go to bed because of thinking they may have this type of dream. And we we know sleep loss is really detrimental for the body and for healing through grief. So it's just really important that we really talk about this stuff as we move forward. And that's why I sort of, one thing I will mention is that's why I developed the online course for people to learn more about this topic because no one, like I was there is no course out there like that, and no one gets taught or trained in any real way about these types of dreams. So anyone who's a grief counselor who works with the bereaved has not seen this research, and that's why it's so important. That's why my job now is to some, disseminate some of this knowledge that I've gained over the last probably eight years researching this topic. That it's like we have enough now to for you to learn, so you can now serve your clientele a little bit better. And to get more tools to be able to help them because there has been research that found working with clients' dreams can be a very beneficial beneficial way uh, when it comes to their grief process. Yeah. 
Um, how do you deal personally with someone who comes to you saying, you know, I really want to have a dream, a grief dream, but I can't, why can't I? And they feel like it's their fault or something. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I went to school, tell you the truth, because a lot of people, people aren't kind to themselves. And that's, <laughs> you want to talk about lessons learned. <laughs> uh, I'm not kind to myself and a lot of people aren't kind to themselves. And so after grief, it's even worse because they'll put, because they don't have a, something that they want, they'll put a negative reasoning on why it hasn't happened. They never go something positive, right? They always go something negative. So they'll say, if they're spiritual, um, they'll say, maybe uh, he didn't cross over. Maybe he's in hell and purgatory. Maybe he doesn't love me anymore, right? So maybe he just moved on. That's what happens. Or maybe he's mad at me. So he's restricting his visit because I had to sell the home or you know something else, right? happened, which, you know, life happens and finances change when people die. So that's heartbreaking to me because it complicates their grief so much and they don't understand that that's such an issue. And so for me, like, I'm like, can I provide them a scientific explanation that may help them in their grief journey rather than hinder them? And so with multiple studies, I can say we found some answers and that's the beauty of research is you got to do it a couple of times, really see if it actually is accurate in some way. And so replication is the way to go. So I did it with spousal loss and also pet loss, and it's finding the same thing. And what it's saying is that the, those people who have more dreams in general are the people who are having more types of these dreams. And so now when people come to me and say, I, don't, I haven't had a dream, the first question I ask is, how often do you remember your dreams? And for the most part, they'll say, not very often. And then I say, well, what are the chances of you getting one of these dreams, remembering one of these dreams? I said, what's going on is you're probably having these dreams. You just don't remember them. And then that's its own issue and own research on dream recall and why I remember some dreams over others. And still, I said, like, you can't see dreams. So it's a lot of it's just based on theory. But the research is showing that people are probably dreaming of them more than they're remembering it. And there are ways to increase your dream recall frequency. And that's just by valuing the dream listening to dreams like if you even listen to the podcast or even this may trigger a dream or just start writing down your dreams all dreams and what people will see research has even shown that it'll increase your recall rate as you move forward but i always want to put the the note in there that you probably have if you're grieving you'll probably have more negative dreams that you remember not of the deceased per se but just in general because these dreams of the deceased can be a little rarer but you'll have, since you're going through turmoil and stress, your dreams will probably be negative in some way. But we can learn from these dreams in multiple ways. And that's why I've I've opened my business for one-on-one consulting just for that. You know, like it's so hard and difficult to really understand symbolism in dreams. It's like its own language. And so like I, you know, I learned along the way just through my own dreams and stuff, but I wanted, uh, and I've seen so many of these dreams. It's really straightforward now. Like I've seen thousands of dreams. Like it's just, you can really, it's really Have easy a formula, now. You know, <laughs> yeah. This <is> this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you understand dreams a lot more because you talk to the brief and you see the dreams and you can really match them up on like what they're trying to work through. And, um, and that's the, the big thing with that. So just a lot of people just say like, we're just uneducated in how to look at dreams and also these dreams in general. What is that worksheet you have on your website? Is that oh, to help yeah. you have these dreams or? Yeah, so I actually invented that because mm-hmm. one of the major concerns that the bereavement counselors had in not talking about dreams within grief groups 
have had stories on that, but we won't, won't get into that. But there was a resistance there, and there probably still is. But <laughs> the, uh, wait, 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 why? We can just tiny. I'm curious. <laughs> well, people don't know the importance of the dreams, and a lot of times people use their own biases to pick what programming goes in. And so, because not everyone values these dreams or understands the meaning of how powerful these dreams are, they banish them, thinking it's woo woo or it's not yeah. valuable. When so it's therapeutic, really. Very therapeutic, yeah. and so you don't need to be a because people who are I should mention people who are spiritual and not there's no difference in having these dreams. So. It's just really understanding that everyone's having these dreams. Their interpretation will be different, but they're having the dreams, right? Mm -hmm. And just like, how can you provide a safe space to normalize the experience and help people work through it? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really trying to do. So anyways, so I developed the worksheet to allow people. Oh, so the, one of the one of the concerns they had, because not everyone's going to have a dream. So if they bring it up, some people will get jealous. And then the topic kind of stops. So I said, okay, let me think about that. And so I developed this tool. Or after everyone shares, what they can do is then write and talk about a dream they want to have tonight if they could. It's the same question that we pose at the end of the podcast, actually. And what I what you find is that it allows the conversation to go further and everyone gets an attempt to talk about what dream they want to have. So that's a very beautiful way. And it actually helps process a lot, too, because the one thing that I should mention when it comes to having these dreams Knowing what dream you want can be very beneficial. Like throughout research, there's always been these things called, you know, people like incubate dreams, right? They like really think of a, a topic that they want and then they'll get an answer to that in some way. And so this could be a way to also just help yourself understand what dream you do want. And that can hopefully, you know, produce one of those positive dreams for you. But it's very, I think, very therapeutic. I've heard very beautiful things just by doing the exercise. It takes about, you know, 10, 20 minutes to be able to do but it's amazing what motions do come out of it. Hmm. This reminds me of a question I had, which is kind of related. Um, I, I saw somewhere, I think on your website, uh, you mentioned something called dream rescripting. Yes. yes. What, what is that? <laughs> and like, <laughs> why do we why. care? Why should yeah. we care? <laughs> the uh, So dream rescripting is great if you have nightmares. So hmm. Richard has shown that. I, it's funny because I used to do it because I had so many nightmares as a kid. I used to do that and I never knew that it was a thing you're supposed to do. It's the easiest thing to deal with nightmares. And so what you do is when you wake up from a nightmare, you change it in some way to make it positive. And so usually it's about the ending, but you could add a character and change the whole dream uh, on what it sort of looks like. But usually it's just like the ending. So if you're being chased, right? So you have a dream of being chased, you wake up, you change the ending. Oh, you turn around, it's a teddy bear, you hug it, you know, and so now, now the whole thing is that you're not avoiding the dream anymore. You're actually approaching it and it's a positive feeling rather than a distressing feeling. And so what you do is you rehearse that throughout the day and for like a week and research has shown it decreases, if not eliminates remembering those dreams. So it's very positive. And you can see that even with people with trauma that have these like PTSD type dreams it can be very beneficial because what it's not like a one-way thing. So it's not like you work with you're, you you could work with your emotions in waking life, and then that would change the dream content. So as your emotions change, your dream content will change. But sometimes that takes a while. Another option is you can change your dream. And what's interesting is it actually can change your waking life. And so there is this, you know, feedback loop that it's not one way, it's not a one way direction. So it's, it's important to be able to work with those and just reduce the distress that people feel from those nightmares. Yeah. Hmm. It's all connected. Um, connected. <laughs> so before we start wrapping up, um, I wanted to ask you how 
all this this research and this work, everything you've learned, um, has shaped your personal beliefs or outlook on your life, death, grief, wherever you want to take it. And then after you answer that, let me know if there's anything else that I didn't ask or something you wanted to mention aside from, you know, I'm going to ask you about your course and all of that stuff, but anything that we didn't cover that you think is important to talk about. Yeah. So what was the first question? (laughs) The first question is how has all of this affected you personally, like learning about all this and your outlook on death, life, grief, whatever. Well, it it taught me so much about grief because like, these are like the windows to what people deal with on a constant basis. And there's so many clues in there. And so I think the biggest thing of it all is that love doesn't die when someone dies. And it's still there. And it doesn't matter if you're spiritual or not. It's still a part of you in some way. Because you're having these very beautiful and very profound loving dreams. What's interesting is I look at that and I say, wow, if you can have that in your sleep, why can't you have it in waking life? And so it really goes to show that there are degrees and of of love that we can feel. And if we don't feel it in waking life, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we just can't tap into it. And so to be able to continue to work through who we are, how we see ourselves. And one of the biggest things is I think self-love. And I have a dream here. Want me to share it? That really talks about this. Okay. Yeah. So this is a dream from Serena Dyer. She came on my podcast and she had her dad, her dad died, but then also her stepson died, Mason. And he died from an accidental overdose. And she felt very guilty that she could have done more, maybe provide a more positive environment, something like that. So she was dealing with a lot of guilt at the time. So this is a dream she had. So Mason told her to hold his hands and his energy was very joyful and funny. He then got very serious and told her that she needed to stop with the guilt. He told her that guilt was soul sabotaging and pointless. He said that everything in in his life was accumulation of choices he made and that it was his correct path. He told her that all of our lives are up to us and the decisions we make. Most importantly, he told her that when we die, we go energetically to the same level we were as uh, at while we lived. He explained that our lives are classrooms and when we die, we continue with those very lessons. Whatever vibration you spent your life living at, you start there on the other side. He then told her to be very careful with thoughts she was choosing and decisions she was making that were self-harming because as he explained, the purpose of living is to love and it must start with the self. He then laughed a little more, released her hands and she woke up. And so spiritual or not, that last point I think was very important. And I believe it is sort of the thing that I've learned the most is that the purpose is of love, of life is to love and to learn to love. And that's something I think we feel that maybe we already know what it is based on our relationships or connections with kids or, or whatever. The the absolute truth is we don't know the vastness of what love can be like to us. And it's got to start with the self. And so that's a clue that I've taken as I move forward to continuing to look at and reflect on myself and how I feel, because that determines what kind of love I'm perceiving exists to be real. And I've learned along the way, the more I learn to love myself, the more love change and how I saw it outside myself and how I felt it inside my body. And, and, and so that in itself is that one of the biggest lessons I've learned just through these dreams. And I, that's why I say like these dreams are just so beautiful because of the love that is within them. Yeah. And so much wisdom too, it seems. Yeah. Like they, they have the best one-liners, you know, I gotta say like these dreams, like you could make a whole like 
religion out of these like <laughs> what's said through these dreams <laughs> put them all together in one book and just <laughs> yeah. actually that's not a bad idea <laughs> yeah, look at that what would you call it that's what i want to know <laughs> knowledge i don't know <laughs> i don't know i'm bad with that um awesome beautiful thank you for sharing all that um is there anything else that you wanted to cover something there's like we said like the course there's 10 hours of stuff but the uh <laughs> one of the things the interesting things i see about these dreams is that they don't stop after the grief has has worked through in its way like grief always comes up and gets triggered in different ways but for the most part we learn to live with what has happened and you would think those dreams would stop but they don't and that is really interesting to me on how as you move forward in life and in times of stress you'll have the deceased come back in imagery with comfort and guidance. And so this could be like, we'll just take the pandemic, for example. I've had a bunch of people submit dreams to me on how the deceased has been dead for a long time and they're coming back and spending time with them more often now than ever before. And so they said it helped with the loneliness that they were feeling with the isolation from the pandemic. Other people had deceased asking about how they were doing in the pandemic. And there's been other people who are giving advice in the pandemic. I think oh, I got one to show you another one to show you. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. So let's see. Yeah. Found it. Found it. <laughs> okay. okay, cool. okay. All right. So here's a dream of an uh, individual who came on podcast. He shared it, Gary. And so his friend died long ago, but he had this dream in the pandemic. So this is a dream of his best friend and is basically his best friend asked, he asked him, so Gary asked his best friend, do you think we're all going to be okay? Referring to what was going on in the pandemic. His friend said, well, how are you? And Gary said, I'm okay. And then Paul said, or as it was his friend's name, Paul, he said, well, looks like then we're all going to be okay. And there's a lot of wisdom in that because it starts with yourself. Like if you're unbalanced, there's no hope for the world. But if you can find balance, then you can be a support for all those around you who are looking for balance. And so that's how we start for the world to be okay, for people to start feeling balanced again. And so there's so much wisdom just even within that small segment that I think is just beautiful. And it's a beautiful response too. Rather than just saying yes, no, like it made yeah. you like think a little bit. You do need to put all of these little things <laughs> into a book. I'm serious. <laughs> Or just on a website or something, so people. Can one day, one day. <laughs> oh yeah, so they change over time. So we're gonna say at end of life, they also um, change and they become. They help people as they sort of let go of the body and reduce their fear of dying, which I think is fascinating. So as as your challenges change, these dream content will change accordingly. And reduce the fear of dying. That's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that section. Um, cool. Let's see. Okay. So I think we're going to start wrapping up. Um, but I want to hear all about your course, what you offer, how people get, can get in touch with you about your podcast, whatever you want to share. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So the course can be found through my website and it's nine and a half hours and that's not including the activities that you have to do <laughs> uh, with it. If you choose to do it, I guess I'm not grading you, but there's, <laughs> there's uh content on because to understand grief dreams you really have to understand sleep in general you have to understand dreams in general and also grief and trauma so those are big things that you need to take with you so i teach you about those and then also grief dreams what they are what the research shares or shows within it and then also how to work with them and i provide a ton of examples and then there's an opportunity for those people who want even more 
I guess, education on it to work with me one-on-one or provide like a ton of dreams and we go through what they represent and then we can go back and forth. So I know that you understand how to connect the, the dots from a dream to waking life. And so that's, that's an option for them too. And then um, moving forward, if you just love the topic in general, said the website's great to go to griefdreams.ca. And then on there, there's links to the Instagram account, which I tend to love the most. Uh, that's where I post the most on. And then the Grief Dreams podcast, where I just love talking to people about their dreams and how it connects to their waking life and also this, their life, their story. There's something about being in those moments. And I feel grateful to be able to record those conversations so I can remember them as I move forward. And um, for me, that podcast has given me so much life, especially like, through the struggles. And so we're almost at 200 episodes. And I think that's just phenomenal for that. And I, I can't wait till we're up to a thousand. I can't see myself ever not loving doing that anymore. And then we also just got Clubhouse. So in Clubhouse, which is really cool, is going to be an opportunity to not only run a group for Grief Dreams to be able to interview people like I do at the podcast, but then also have um, questions and answers from the audience, which is really kind of cool. But we'll have some, you know, just question and answer. People can come in and ask me questions. And we also, so that's called Grief Dreams. And there's another club grief ca- called Grief Cafe. And that's when I'm going to go, me and a couple of friends will talk about grief events in the world. And we're going to have audience participation with that too. So like one of the stories that I sort of recently saw was the octopus, right? And them dreaming. And like, so what, what does that say about grief and grief and animals and stuff like that too? So um, and also virtual reality and how that's come into play and how people, there's an article on how this woman couldn't have a grief dream and so these people made a virtual reality of a grief of a dream quote unquote that she wanted to have and the emotional impact it had on her and so that could be something in the future that people are trying to move forward with I, there's probably a cheaper way to uh, <laughs> get a grief dream like uh, maybe just fund the research in it but uh, <laughs> anyways but those are the things that we're going to talk about like everyday things that I think I get a chance to talk to with my friends, but I think a lot of people don't maybe not have those friends around and to sort of see different viewpoints other than CNN and Fox News on like how to sort of look at a topic because there's so many varying approaches and perspectives, which I think that's what the platform is going to be really fun to do and utilize. Yeah. So this is on Clubhouse. That's right. Okay. I, I think for Android users, it's not available yet. And that would be it's amazing, coming. But it, it's, it's coming. Okay. It's coming. Yeah. It should be in the next month or so, someone said. Oh, yay. Okay. Oh, my yeah. God. So excited. I'll be there then. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's just move on to the last two questions then that I ask everyone. Um, so first one is if you were to die tomorrow, how would you like to be remembered? I don't know. You know, and I don't know, like, I don't know if it matters, right? <laughs> like I'm, yeah, I'm, that's... I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> but like, I think like for me, like, I hope I don't care because yeah. if I do, it means there's so much more I need to work on in life yeah. because a part of self-love is to be able to stand up for who you were in this life and what you've done and who you are now is a lot different than 10 years ago and a lot different than 12 years ago or whatever. And so for me, if I'm dying on my bed, it's just how do I feel about myself and what I've done with the time I had, did I reach a point where I can be proud of that and whatever the world sees it as, you know, that's what they're going to see it as. And you're always going to have lovers and haters as I said, with the pastors, some people see my work was just the devil. I was a devil in disguise, exactly. you know, like doing this stuff. And so like, I think I can't worry about that. That's just going to be their own stuff that they got to sort yeah. of think about. But for me, like I would for it for myself, just how did I do? Right. And, you know, did I do enough? And I think for me, it's always about, you know, 
doing enough to for people to have an option to hear some of the truth that I get to sort of hear through these dreams on, on how we can love ourselves more and, and what research is saying and how can we reduce the distress and, and normalize the grief journey a little bit. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, and if you, if you were to compile all the knowledge and wisdom that you've gained throughout your life into a message to share with the world, what would that message be? I almost, I want to steal this from a dream. I have. We already talked a little bit about Let's like the, the, the power of, yeah. of love, right. And self-love is, is such a, a big part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And, but I think I'm going to steal it from one of my guests, Rebecca <laughs> McDonald. She had this dream of her grandfather and right at the end, the grandfather said, even in sadness, there is beauty. Mm-hmm. And there's so much wisdom in that. I won't go into it because people can like, just figure it out on themselves what that means. But even in sadness, there is beauty. That's what I would, that's wow. the wisdom. Yeah. Damn. Mic drop. Cool. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joshua. That was really lovely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the platform, your platform and what you're trying to do. And also to be allowed me to just be myself and to share some of the information that I've, I've come along to research to be able to do and to now be able to have some place to sort of disseminate that knowledge. So I just thank you for what you do. Hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, please make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. It really helps spread the message. Also, if you'd like to connect with me, follow me on Instagram at conversations on death. And I will talk to you guys soon. Take care. <laughs>